Coming up today on The Fit Mess. I think the biggest part is understanding the therapeutic use of psychedelics. As long as people go into therapy with the right expectations that it is work on the front end and it is work during the integration on the back end, I think people will be surprised at the amount of healing that can happen. That's Jill Sitnik. She's the author of Rescuing Jill. Today, we'll talk to her about why she says MDMA and magic mushrooms healed her childhood trauma-induced PTSD. But first, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Zach. We've spent years pushing ourselves to learn more about our own physical, emotional, and mental health and picked up a few coaching certificates along the way. But really, we're two guys who got sick of our own shit and started making changes to be healthier, happier, and live more meaningful lives. And each week, we talk to world-class experts with advice to help you do the same. You know, Jeremy, I think the universe is really inspiring to to make sure I know as much about this stuff as possible because it's just really been coming up a lot lately. been having a lot of conversations about it. I've been doing a lot of research about it. And the one thing that keeps making me mad or really making me question the system, I know there are medications on the market and drug companies that are making millions and probably billions of dollars on drugs that that can help us in this way. But I keep reading about like the healing power of MDMA and magic mushrooms and how one small microdose might be enough to reset you for a good year. And there's no money to be made on that. So what's happening? Why are we not hearing more about this? Why did the drug companies don't want us to know about it? It's been very interesting researching this lately, and I'm on the verge of going, I need to experience this myself. This is something that actually you're going to hear more about in the interview that's coming up is the, uh, the, the powers that be behind the pharmaceutical industry and, and how they, uh, on one hand, the, as you'll hear, the insurance companies might actually benefit from paying for fewer medications for more people. So I think that's a very interesting area to explore here. But like you, this is something that just keeps sort of showing up as a blip on the radar. The more that you sort of look into how to deal with mental health issues, the magic mushrooms, the MDMA, all these things that have been shoved back in a corner and made illegal and stigmatized and everything for decades, is really starting to bubble up to the mainstream and is, I think, on the verge of actually becoming a legal and uh, prescribable medication to treat these issues. Honestly, based on everything I've read about the history of of these drugs and the research that went into them in the 50s and 60s, and the benefits just seem to be amazing. And when I was a teenager, I did I did things that I may regret, and like you know, you do them for the wrong reasons and and all of that. But as a 43 year old parent, I'm really starting to fall in line with you know some of these things that I'm reading about this being a healing process, not a let's go get high or let's go get fucked up process. There, there definitely is a distinction between the two in terms of, you know, dose and setting and whether you do it with, you know, a, a, a psychedelic Sherpa or whatever it is that you need to pair up with to, to go on this journey. But you mentioned something about your childhood. Did did you, you, you were into the drugs as, as a young person. Is that right? I won't say, I won't say for sure, but you know, if anyone could see the video, you might see my head <laughs> nodding. I was not. I was terrified of most of them. I had. I remember going to a party. Speaking of magic mushrooms, and this is this is where I think a lot of the stigma comes from. I remember going to a party where a friend of mine had a bong that he filled with magic mushroom tea that he smoked his pot through. So I mean, just 
got absolutely torched by smoking weed through mushroom tea, basically. And mm-hmm. it's those experiences that, you know, I saw people around me doing these kinds of things. And I just thought he did that. And he ended up barfing for a couple of days. That doesn't seem like a good time. That is a very different experience than working with a medical professional that says, based on your weight, your age, your various uh, health attributes, this is enough to sort of put your toe in the water and then maybe go a little deeper next time and a little deeper next time. I can speak from experience that there's, you know, ketamine treatment is something mm-hmm. that's a real thing of helping with with healing and, and mental health disorders. And somebody was talking to me about it and ketamine was one of those drugs that, you know, I had access to as a teenager. And I didn't even realize that it was a thing then. Yeah. But if you take too much of it, you go into something called like a K-hole where you are you are fully aware of what's going on around you. You just can't move. Oh my God. See, that's the stuff. Move. That stuff and terrifies went, me. So like people are telling me about the healing powers and benefits of this one drug. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I had my moment with that yeah. and it was not okay. Right. But not done uh, in a professional setting. I'm guessing this was uh, just screwing around. I, it was, yeah, it was more than screwing around, but Yeah. No professional setting. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what they were doing. And um, yeah, no, and I am, you know, swinging back the other way of like, okay, let me take a look at this. I know that my experience won't be the same. And I was traumatized by a couple of experiences that I had as a slightly dumber young person. Yeah. But MDMA and and magic mushrooms, like, again, if I tried them as like a microdosing, I will say that it wouldn't be the first time that Mm -hmm. I used them. Mm -hmm. However, what I used them for the first time was just simply to have a great weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll say this, having taken, you know, the the meds that are currently available to try and manage my own depression, they don't work for me. If they work for you, fantastic. I just know that whenever I took them, it either amplified my anger or made me just feel completely dead inside all of the time. So knowing that research is being done on something that can be used in smaller doses that is largely natural, it is really exciting to, to know that minds are being open to what could potentially be a huge breakthrough in dealing with mental health. Well, I know that all of my experiences and all the research that I have done in no way qualifies me as an expert in any of these topics. Fortunately, we have somebody who's got some additional experience with this. We partnered with Jill Sitnik. She's the author of Rescuing Jill. We started by asking her how she got to a point where she was experimenting with MDMA to deal with her PTSD. My story is probably very unique in that I was not experimenting. I was in a therapeutic relationship due to grief uh, that eventually, after 18 months after losing my partner, Carl, I went to my therapist saying, I've got a problem. I'm in a whirlwind of trauma going on. I didn't use that vocabulary then. I was just having like a nonstop panic attack when nothing was really wrong. I got like a work email that set me off. And for two months, I felt like my world was coming apart. And she shifted our focus from grief to figuring out what the heck my body was trying to say. She diagnosed me at 49 with childhood trauma induced PTSD. I always knew I had a bad childhood. I never really thought I had trauma from it. And uh, luckily she has been working in this space 
And so I had the luxury of my therapist and a guide through this whole process of uh, MDMA through three journeys and a little bit of mushrooms in the last journey. I have so many questions about all of that. Before we get to that, I'm curious, what other modalities did you try? Did you do other things to, to try and alleviate that PTSD? I mean, it sounds like talk therapy was part of it, but anything else that you, you had tried? I was, you know what, I, I talk in the book about one door closes and another door opens. I mean, this was my therapist to help me through grief. I just happened to get, in my opinion, very lucky that I was symptomatic at a time that she was still available to chat. I did not know I had PTSD. If you had talked to me before that diagnosis, I would have just said, yeah, I kind of have some anxiety, but I never would have attributed it to my upbringing, because in my opinion at the time, which is what a lot of trauma people do, people had way worse backgrounds than I did. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, I did not. There was not any other than, you know, a couple of months of talk therapy where I was not making one bit of progress. Mm, <laughs> that was really it. So how does that conversation turn from traditional talk therapy to, Hey, here's something you should try. <laughs> <laughs> Very, very lightly. Yes, very delicately. Yes, because there are legal matters that we'll get to as well. I want to find out more about that. But yeah, tell me about that conversation. <laughs> that conversation was very kind in that the first conversation, I read the book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score mm -hmm. by uh, Bessel uh, Denver Kolk. I always mess up his name. I'm so sorry. The, the Body Keeps the Score is a great book. That's how I saw that I actually had a problem mm -hmm. and could come to that diagnosis. And then the conversation shifted to work at maps.org, M-A-P-S.org and Johns Hopkins. So I didn't have any sort of, hey, let's just try this drug tomorrow kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. It was, I wanna introduce you to the research that's going on. There's a lot of positive aspects. I have access to researchers and um, medical people and is this something you want to think about? Go home, do your research and come back to me. She had already screened me. I didn't have any schizophrenia in my family. Mm -hmm. So we didn't think that there would be any uh, physical danger for going this route. And we're talking specifically about MDMA is, is what was discussed and, and researched. What For yes. someone listening to this, what does that mean? What is MDMA? MDMA is a synthetic product, early 1900s, Wikipedia has different people attributed to doing different, sure. developing it. Uh, it is most commonly on the street known as ecstasy, party drug. I want to be very clear. I had medical grade MDMA delivered to me via medical people mm -hmm. under controlled circumstances, you know, my weight and dosage and things of that sort. It is not the traditional psychedelic that people think of in terms of creating visuals and things of that sort. One of the reasons why it's a party drug is that it makes you feel good. It releases kind of the stress on your body. And for me specifically in PTSD patients, it allows the body to relax and not always be in that fight and flight mode that the trauma memories have created in our system. 
And so I've got a lot of analogies that kind of explain how MDMA works, but that's that's the most scientific you're going to get sure. from. No, it. that's that's great. I'm I'm no scientist. There's no lab coats in my house. Um, <laughs> so I guess uh, you know somebody who is maybe uh, skeptical of this, you know, doubts mm-hmm. that this is a, a legitimate treatment. They're hearing this and they're going, "So you're stressed out. You get high. You feel good. Makes sense. Research done. Right? Like." Why is it more than that? Why is it why is it not just a glass of wine on a Friday that just relaxes you and chills you out? Why is it different? That's a phenomenal question. That's a great question because I didn't know anything about this therapy before this. So, first of all, PTSD is not just anxiety. PTSD is the inability to move forward in a lot of ways. I was actually borderline suicidal and for no real reason mm-hmm. other than trauma speaking up. So let me, let me differentiate that. Number two, the biggest question that I've gotten is, well, what actually happened when you were dosed with MDMA? And what's interesting is that you go into the therapy with intentions. I'm tired of being afraid of the future. I want to stop being afraid of everything. The universe is after me. Those were kind of my opening intentions on my first journey. I happen to be a very chatty person. Not sure if you can tell. (laughs) My MDMA journeys were me chatting a lot with my guides, just about things that would come up. My guides never directed the sessions. They followed where I was going. And then occasionally I would put an eye mask on. I would lay down. I lay on my side. That's why I'm doing that. However you lay down and letting the medicine work. And my analogy for letting the medicine work is that after the journey, the process is called integration and you actively start to see perspective shifts about your childhood. And so when I say, let the medicine work, in my opinion, I feel like the medicine was highlighting memories in my childhood that I was going to be working on during integration. And for me, the integration period on average was two to four months when I would look at a childhood memory that caused me trauma, uh, my mother's suicides, my father's beatings, things of that sort. And I would be able to look at those situations almost as if they were happening to someone else. My body would be calm and I could say, hey, wait a minute, that three-year-old didn't deserve that beating hey, wait a minute, that five-year-old didn't cause her mom to commit suicide. A variety of things that if you were talking to a friend, you'd be like, duh, that's obvious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When it's in you, regardless of what the trauma is, it can be a bully, it can be parents, it can be anything, regardless of the trauma. When it's in you, you only still see that trauma through a child-centric view. And the integration phase after the MDMA allowed me to start seeing things from an adult perspective, totally shifting my view. Uh, it, it is, I'm sure, a much uh, watered down version of what you experienced. But I've had experiences through breathwork and meditation where I traveled through this portal and there I was standing next to the childhood version of me saying all of the things that I needed an adult to say, to say, you're going to be okay. And the weirdest thing now, I mean, I carried these horrible uh, um, memories with me my entire life. Now those memories include me as the adult helping that version of me. Is that a similar experience only amplified? 
Uh, so that in my definition, that's a little bit of reparenting. And I've done some of that too. Sure. Uh, I personally think our imagination is one of our best friends in healing to be able to do that kind of stuff. And I know growing up, I never had a therapist suggest that. So I would say definitely different, different trauma points needed an adult Jill mm -hmm. to kind of walk in and say, Hey, here we are. And other times adult Jill didn't work mm -hmm. because like, five-year-old Jill didn't trust adults. Oh, wow. Really interesting dynamic. That is. Did you, I've, I've heard from other people that have done this and they discovered traumatic memories that they didn't even know were there that were horribly abusive situations that their body went, okay, can't process, must bury that deep. That was uncovered and completely rocked them. Did you experience anything like that? You know what? I was actually afraid of that uh, very recently in a journey. I said, you know, I'm having some issues. I won't bore you with all that stuff. I said, what happens if I find out that my father did X, Y, Z? And my guides, my guide and therapist just did that. It just talked me through well, what would happen. And so I don't have, I haven't had that situation. Mm -hmm. But what I can say is that under MDMA, I didn't know that I had had like an inner five-year-old kind of suffering. That's where the PTSD came from. Yeah. So I totally get when people say, all of a sudden, I now know something that happened that I had just totally shut down before. Yeah, yeah. Get it. Like I get how that can happen. So you experienced uh, MDMA and that was two of the journeys. And the third was, was psilocybin. Is that correct? So- I really struggle with getting into my body. So first journey, MDMA, second journey, MDMA, third journey, the pre-work to the journey was me having a nightmare about five-year-old Jill not being able to get out of my childhood house. Mm. Door was gone. Wow. So uh, we had talked before the journey, my guide had said, you know, we might get into a situation where we really need to restructure your, your thought patterns about that time. Would you have any problem if we introduced psilocybin? At that point, I was like, no, you guys, <laughs> you, you can have my brain, right. whatever. <laughs> and so we had uh, MDMA calmed my body down, realized in my head, I had this five-year-old girl stuck in my childhood bedroom and she was not leaving. And that's when we used uh, probably a very small dose of mushrooms. I, I don't know the dosage, but sure. probably very small because that part of the journey was only about an hour, hour and a half. Okay. And with their help uh, and kind of going into the medicine, putting my, putting my eye mask on, I was actually able to disintegrate my childhood home and be free sitting in a garden. So there are certain times that I think it's really appropriate when, when there's just a huge trauma point that needs to kind of be, yeah, dismantled yeah. maybe is the best. And that, I guess that was, that's one of my questions too, is this is something that doing a show like this, being in circles that I'm in, this keeps coming up and it's, I'm taking it as a sign as, Hey dummy, go give it a try. See if it fixes all the stuff. And so I gotta go, <laughs> I gotta do this. I, you know, I'm very interested in trying this, but 
uh, like a lot of people, it scares the shit out of me, right? Like I, all I've heard is, you know, the walls melt, you freak out, your ego dissolves, you're barfing in a bucket and it's just this crazy thing. But there's somebody there going, no, it's going to be all right. Hang on, man. It's, it's going to get weird, but you're going to be okay. So help me uh, understand why I should not be terrified. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about, first of all, a therapeutic. Yes dose and environment versus a party environment. So MDMA did not make me nauseated or I didn't throw up. No bodily functions went crazy. Okay, good. So that, that's a good thing. Number two, that that would be a traumatic experience on its own that you would need to then do another trip to get over and it'd be embarrassing and the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we've all heard so much about an ayahuasca journey, yes. which I have not taken. Right. And I, I had this, I was like, oh, are, are all psychedelics like that? Am I going to be running to the bathroom? And my therapist calmed me down and said, no, that's not a MDMA does not really cause that physicality. Okay. Number one, number two, appropriate dosage does not cause that physicality. Number three, mushrooms. There's a huge, in my opinion, there is a huge difference in a journey that's like a two gram to three gram, three grams, even pretty high. The walls melting ego disillusion is a five gram uh, journey. I have never taken a five gram journey. I've never come close to that. I know a lot of in the news, they're talking about psilocybin and alcoholism. I know a couple of people who on their own have just taken a like a four to five gram uh, journey with loved ones with them to keep them safe. And that was super eye-opening. But I would say there is absolutely no harm in going small when you first want to get started to understand what it's like, heck, you can microdose just to get a sense. Uh, there's no, in this kind of therapy, there's no reason to jump into the deep end. It's very cool to kind of step by step into the water sure. is my opinion. Sure. So uh, I've obviously expressed that there's a stigma around this around in, in my head and, and what I've experienced. I think that stigma is uh, largely fueled by the legality of of these kinds of drugs, yep, how, yep. I mean, it's brave of you to come on to podcasts and say, I've done this. It's awesome. I mean, this is something it's not legal, right? I mean, you, you could potentially yes. get in trouble for, for using illegal substances. So how, I guess, what would you recommend to somebody who is hearing this and going, I've got stuff. I want to deal with it. This sounds like something for me. What is the legally safe advice that you can give that person? Yeah. So the legally, the legal way. So first of all, this is not fringe anymore. Maps.org is actually working with the FDA. Mm -hmm. They are going to be finishing up their phase three clinical trials and you don't get to phase three clinical trials if stuff isn't working in phase one and phase two. And so the anticipated legalization of MDMA for PTSD as a therapy, we're anticipating sometime 2023, assuming everything's working because the FDA is in lockstep with MAPS. There's no surprise here. Mm. It's a breakthrough therapy designation. If you can't, you feel like you can't wait, you can go to the maps.org website and see what clinical trials they are offering. If you feel like you're a PTSD person, if you feel like you're a depressed person, 
The ketamine clinics are all around. I would just be a really strong shopper and make mm -hmm. sure it's exactly what you want because we all have different opinions about what should be done in person and what can be done virtually. I have zero opinions about that. I haven't, that's not my world. Uh, but Johns Hopkins has FDA breakthrough therapy approval with psilocybin, magic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And they're also running a variety of clinical trials. And we're seeing if you do start, I call it doing the Google if you do start doing the Google, you're going to see a number of clinical trials through other agencies, because to be quite candid, the investor space is like ramping up big time. So if you're super motivated right now, you can do some research and try to get into a clinical trial. And I will say, as someone who lives in Canada, the restrictions are uh, significantly lower than than they are in the U.S. So if you feel like making a road trip, I don't know, head, head to Canada and do some research, I I'm not, I'm not one to tell you what to do with your life. So there you go. Uh, and I make sure whoever you're with, because there's a whole underground society in the U.S. too. Most people I that I've heard, experienced, it's been super pleasant. People have been wonderful guides. Just make sure you're, you're with someone you trust and if you really want to do that kind of work, because it's really important. That was something I wanted to get to was sort of the setting of this. Again, it's you're not at a party, you know, nobody's doing keg stands. It's a, it's a, not that environment. So what is sort of a, the ideal setting for somebody? I mean, I guess that, I suppose that's individual to whatever someone needs, but maybe what was your ideal setting for, for doing this? Actually, I love that you asked that question because um, uh, my late partner, Carl, he had bladder cancer. So we were in hospital after hospital after hospital, and that, that was cold and sterile. Uh, the journey room, in my opinion, or space, I'll say space, should be welcoming. It should be inviting. There should be a place to lay down. If you're a cuddling person like I am, like I can't get enough blankets, bring a blanket with you. Bring your eye mask. Bring your fluffy socks. Bring whatever will make you comfortable. And the room should be relatively comfortable. Very often in the videos online at maps.org, you see that there's a bed in a hospital room, but they've kind of, they've made it a little less clinical. Mm -hmm. If you happen to be outside with someone, I've heard of that too. Whatever it is, make sure you're comfortable with the space. And my advice is bring anything with you. I almost, I always make fun that like, I've got my little backpack, bring anything with you that will make you comfortable that really helps me. So take that advice for what it's worth. And how important is your intention going into it? I mean, obviously it's going to help you unlock the things that you go into with the intention, but I know for me with the various spiritual things that I've done, the more I'm, I just walk in and go, just, just show me the way. And, and I'm in for the ride. The deeper I go, the more I learn, the more I grow from that experience. If I walk going, walk in going, this looks like a bunch of horse crap, then I don't get as much out of it. So, I mean, is that, uh, is that a, a fair assessment of, of this? Should you walk into it with an open mind? Does it make a difference? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're, I think you're spot on. You I, think, I think the, uh, the difference with approaching these substances in a therapeutic sense is that I actively had intentions. I wanted to figure out why the heck I was so afraid. I'd had 20 years of a great career, a great partner. I didn't have a reason to be afraid. I wanted to understand that. And I will say too, don't be surprised. I just recently had a journey where I had a certain set of intentions and no one is more surprised than I am at the integration that is totally leading me down a different path that 
consciously, I never would have put together mm. this intention and this kind of healing. Oh, wow. So go in with whatever focus, whatever intention, whatever your goal. There's also nothing to say there isn't any real harm in having a smaller journey mm -hmm. and just kind of saying, hey, mother mushroom or mm. whatever, let me know what I need to understand. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that either. That's just not therapeutic in the way that I did it sure. through my doctors. So speaking of therapeutic dosing, I've talked to other people that say you will never see these drugs legalized because of the, you know, big pharma is going to go, well, what are we going to get people to take every day if there's something they can take once a year that does the same thing? Do you think that there's any uh, concern there that, uh, maybe not even concern, I mean, do you think there's potential that this could alleviate much of our mental health crisis or, or is this pretty specifically a PTSD treatment and not so much, you know, your, your garden variety, anxiety and depression? So I think that's a really great question. And I'm going to say right off the bat, I am not an expert in this space. So the first question, insurance, big pharma, a lot of the companies out there, if you want to start looking at the companies now where you should maybe invest they're actually trying to isolate specific parts of psilocybin or different parts of mdma to do a couple of things number one patent it so it becomes theirs number two make it more insurancible my journeys are anywhere from five to eight hours that's mm, expensive mm -hmm. on the flip side if you're an insurance company that is paying I don't know, daily, weekly, monthly for a lot of medication right now that lots of people would argue isn't really helping our mental health crisis. Yeah, yeah. This other solution comes along that allows you to cut costs and ironically helps people at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think there is, I, I hope and think there is space for that. A 10 hour total journey or a a 20 hour process. I mean, I had three journeys over the course of a year and I no longer qualify for a PTSD diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I don't know what insurance company wouldn't kind of say, Hey, that can save us money. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Sort of along those same lines, you mentioned schizophrenia uh, diagnoses. Those are maybe people that should stay away from this. Anybody else who should steer clear of this from what you've heard or what you've read that is not beneficial? Yeah, I don't know the definition of psychosis. Schizophrenia and psychosis are the two phrases I've heard the most. Those that those populations should stay away from psychedelics. Okay. So please get screened before you do anything. You mentioned the three journeys initially that got you to basically better. Fair. Yep. Since then, is there is there maintenance? Do you still do it occasionally? How does that work? Oh my gosh. So uh, I wound up making friends with a couple of other folks who've also gone through the therapy. And I had kind of had in my mind that, oh, I was, I was cured of that part and everything else was talk therapy. Yeah. My therapist and my guide have been wonderful. I've had two journeys since practically a year apart. So it's definitely not something I do very often. I really, I try to go in with a lot of intention I will say that once a trauma victim starts unraveling the onion, there's some more layers yeah. that you maybe don't anticipate. And, and you can't get to that base layer without doing the, the top work. So I don't know how many journeys are ahead of me. Mm. I, I think a few more, yeah. but um, even still, I'm not going to talk therapy every single week. It's definitely worth 
it, it's definitely a modality that I appreciate. I think the biggest part is understanding the therapeutic use of psychedelics. There's a ton of research going on. The ball is already rolling. I would be shocked if it isn't legal in a year or two. And uh, as long as people go into therapy with the right expectations that it is work on the front end and it is work during the integration on the back end, uh, I think people will be surprised at the amount of healing that can happen. And where can we learn more about you? And and uh, you've mentioned the MAPS website, but uh, but your work, your book, where can we learn about you and any other uh, resources you want to oh. offer folks? I am uh, jillsitnick.com, super easy. This is my book, Rescuing Jill. It's a quick read. I basically walk you through the year of going through the journeys. And um, maps.org, maps.org has their research about PTSD with uh, MDMA as a psychedelic. Johns Hopkins, you can just uh, do a search for Johns Hopkins and psilocybin. A lot of stuff comes up. And for folks who are super interested, South by Southwest conference that's going to be showing up. I went last year. They had two full days of sessions around psychedelic, psychedelic research, psychedelic investing. They had major researchers. Carhartt was there. The guy from Hopkins was there. I mean, they had top level researchers there. I applied this year. Hopefully I'll get to speak. But for people who are super interested in that space, going to that conference, I think can be very helpful. Okay. Our thanks to Jill Sitnik. She is the author of Rescuing Jill. You can find links to her and her work in the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com, as well as the links to the events coming up that she mentioned there as well. And a lot of takeaways there, but primarily and probably most importantly for our sake, I want to just remind you that this is something that is probably not legal depending on where you where you live in the world. So we are in no way endorsing that you go out and do this. We are just offering this as something to do some research on and to follow what's being done because should this become legal and should this become something that your doctor is able to give you to help manage whatever PTSD or, or mental health issue you've probably been wrestling with your entire life, it could be very exciting. So I just I want to highlight that this is this is something to keep an eye on and do some research on because I do believe that this will become an option for you in the very near future. And with any therapy modality, it really helps to go in with an open mind and really let go of resistance and past beliefs. I mean, I talked about at the beginning of the show, some of the experiences that I've had with these things that are rather negative and have scared me Mm -hmm. from wanting to do this again. But I am reminded so often how many times I'm wrong on my beliefs and things that I've believed since childhood. And I preach on the show how you should question <laughs> those things. So yeah. I, I will take my own advice and, yeah. and really start to question those things. Well, along those same lines too, like how many times has there been something in your life that you're afraid of and you avoid it and you avoid it and you avoid it. And it's sort of lingering there. And when you finally lean into it, it's one of the most growing healing experiences of your life. So this has definitely got me interested. It's got me wanting to do the research and find out more about how this might be able to help me in the future. But also, like you said, it's it's about the right setting. It's about going in with the right intentions. This is not getting wasted at a party with your buddies and doing keg stands. This is something entirely different. This is a medical treatment and should be taken very seriously if it is something that you decide to pursue when and if it becomes legal. Key, key there. <laughs> I think that when. may be, yeah. When, when it becomes legal. When, when. We'll stick with when. Uh, that, that's when we'll start endorsing this. That's right. 
And as long as we're covering our bases uh, from a, from a legal perspective, we should also note that this is absolutely not for everybody. People with schizophrenia, psychosis, very very serious mental health issues. This is not something that uh, is recommended for you to even be researching because it could be uh, very dangerous. So get screened, talk to your doctor, make sure you do your due diligence on this because you do not want to mess around with this if this is something that could actually do you more harm than good. And honestly, I, again, I'm doing more and more research on this. So if, if anyone listening has looked into this or is thinking about this, please feel free to go join our Facebook group and we can have conversations around this. Our Facebook group is for fitness listeners to connect for monthly challenges, being accountable to each other and having wonderful conversations about things that are illegal that we don't do. <laughs> yeah, you can do that at the at thefitmess.com. That's where we're going to be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks for listening and only doing legal things. See everyone. We should probably beef up our disclaimer on this episode. <laughs> We know this podcast is amazing and doesn't seem to lack anything, but we need a legal disclaimer. Prior to implementing anything discussed in this podcast, it is your responsibility to conduct your own research and consult your physician. You should assume that Jeremy and Zach don't know what they're talking about, and they're not liable for any physical or emotional issues that occur directly or indirectly from listening to this podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.